Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Inside the Comedian with me, David Reed. In this episode, I'll be interviewing Kevin Eldon. Comedian, actor, musician, artisan baker, looter, pharmaceutical guinea pig, great-grandmother, spy. Kevin Eldon, welcome to Inside the Comedian. May I say, I'm glad you included looter. Yes, yes. In in your introduction today, because I've always felt that my looting has been kind of overlooked over the years. Yeah, I I would agree, actually. I was reading an interview with you in the Evening Standard only the other day, and looting was barely mentioned. People just seem to shy away uh, from it. Because that, I think that's because they have a very narrow and blinkered uh, view of what looters are. They think it's all been covered. Oh, yeah, they all wear baseball caps. Right. They all nick tellies out of shops during civil unrest. No. No, they, they, it's, a, it's a lot broader than that. Well, isn't looters it? don't only nick tellies. And I've never worn a baseball cap in my life. Do you wear baseball caps? Uh, not often. Not often. No, no. Um, well, so you've got a stovepipe. Yes, yes, I thought it was only appropriate today. I would wear Christopher Grayling on my head before I'd wear a baseball cap. Personally, I'm a, I'm a staunchly traditional looter. I only loot from abbeys. OK. I, uh, and only abbeys that house uh, Franciscan order of monks. I've no interest in Augustine, Benedictine, Dominican. Right. They're completely safe for me. But Franciscans are right to keep watch of a night. Um... I, I, can I just take this opportunity to talk a bit more about looting? Yeah, absolutely. We, Please do go on about uh, looting. Go, you know, I don't want to go on about comedy. No. I go in on horseback because so I'm very traditional, waving a sword. Sword is just a deterrent, mm. really. I've never yet. I mean, you're not a burglar, you're a looter. No, I'm a looter. Yeah, absolutely. What's the difference? Uh, as uh, Simon Money would say, 10 bob a week. Um, but uh, I will loot their tellies in the abbeys. I'm not mm. saying as a looter, I, I never loot a telly. And in abbeys, there's usually one in the common rooms, quite old-fashioned, usually a Bush or a Phillips. Mm. And I sell them down the car boot sale at Sportsfield uh, down the road. But not just their tellies, that's the main thing. You know, I'll have a cowl, I'll lift an illuminated manuscript. Mm. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to point up the abbey looting side of me, because I, I think that without people being aware of that element, a lot of what I do doesn't make sense. Right, and I think a lot of people have felt that over the years simply because they haven't been aware of the looting. Uh, it, it, it seems an almost disjointed career if you take away that common element. Yeah, and that's kind of, I don't get that guy. I don't, oh, he's popping up. Why is he doing that? Then you put looting into the equation and you go... There we go. I get it. <laughs> OK, of course, this is Kevin Eldon. Hey. Now, I should 
Uh, point out the elephant in the room here, that at your request, rather than conduct this interview in front of a live audience, as I usually do, uh, we've met up in this abandoned Cold War bunker buried deep beneath the hurdler Colin Jackson. Yes, I was thrilled when you told me in the pre-interview inoculation procedure mm. that we're only 60 metres beneath Colin Jackson. I'm a big fan. And it got me to thinking that if the distance between us and Colin Jackson were on flat ground mm. with some hurdles laid out on it, at his 1994 world record speed, he could reach us in just 7.3 seconds. That would be incredible, wouldn't it? Just to watch that, I mean, him coming at you. But of course, uh, this being a Cold War bunker, Colin Jackson is quite unaware of our presence currently. He's no idea. No idea we're here. Blissful ignorance. It's the last <laughs> thing on his mind, as in a Cold War bunker. Absolutely. But um, why, why is it that you would rather meet away from the prying eyes of the public? Uh, is, is it out of fear? of the British public or merely a deep loathing of them? I just like abandoned Cold War bunkers. I, right. I, I've always liked a reinforced breeze block. I like the old rusty tins of spam. I mm. like the... Does the, see that mildewed game of Kaplunk over there? Absolutely. Uh, it's just the way the cardboard's so soggy. I actually live in a converted uh, Cold War bunker. Oh, how lovely. Um, it's my dream home. It used to be a subterranean car park, but I had it converted... I particularly like uh, the way signs, rather than being uh, made uh, on wood or perhaps plastic, are just um, stencil spray-painted straight onto the concrete. I think that's a particularly nice aesthetic. Yeah, th- yes. There's no, uh, there's no frills, no. and that in itself is a frill. And also, there's a, the whole place is kind of pervaded with a, an air of tension and paranoia, which, uh, which is an energy you can thrive on. Mm, definite, definitely. So, I, so I'd rather... I'm glad that you were able to comply with my request and you've found a really good one this is super if we could go back to the beginnings uh, of yourself uh, mm. not the cold war mm. uh, you you famously started performing not as an entertainer but in a punk band uh, the gosport based group flammable pipe um, now uh, gosport is known as a navy town was was punk the only career choice available outside of aquatic military service no it wasn't the it was uh, Actually, do you know what? The thing, when I was deciding what to do with my life when I was a kid, I had quite a few choices available to me mm. as a Gosporter. Uh, there was the Navy, the Navy, of course. There was the Navy, of course. Naval tradition is ingrained into Gosport life. It's mad, because the first thing Gosport schools teach the kids is how to kill, haul a mutineer. Mm. Uh, you'll get nothing in the supermarkets but ship biscuits and grog. Uh, but it wasn't for me, though. And my, my best friend at school joined the Navy as soon as he could, because he, he suffered terribly from land sickness. But uh, Navy was out for me. Um, there were other possibilities. Gosport as um, a centuries-long association with spider breeding. Um, up until the late 80s, most of the UK spiders were bred in or around Gosport in the, uh, in the spider farms there. And Gosport farms, when I was leaving school, um, employed about 20,000 people in the Gosport area. So there was, there was an opening there if I'd wanted it. I'd probably have gone into management rather than down in the Weberies. Right. Um, these days, of course, workforce is down to a few hundred with the automisation of spider farming and outsourcing and all that. But that was always an option. Um, I didn't go for I didn't go for the spider stuff. Um, there was always work down the mustard mine. It was quite hard. Right. Being a seaside town, the council were always looking for pebble wardens. Um, there was something called the welfare state uh, in those days. Interesting. What on earth is that? It's just where they gave you money for doing nothing. You know, you. you um, oh, that sounds good. It was, it, you know, it, very popular for ages. It was the opportunity to sit on the dole for years on end and watch all your dreams slowly crumble to dust. And of course, there was always uh, prostitution. 
Right, yes. And in the end, we stuck to our guns with a band. Uh, it was a very meagre living to make out of... It. We were mostly paid in poor quality sausages, really, but we kept at it for a, a good four or five years. I, I, some, I really I enjoyed my, my time with the punk band. Flammable Pipe was the first name uh, of the band. We named it after a central component of most cookers in the mid-70s. Right. But that was our very first name. We had loads of name can changes. Can you remember any of them now? Yeah. Uh, I can, uh, I'm in loads of flammable pipe. And then we went to Gusset. Gusset, uh, yes. The Cups of Tea, Bamber and the Gas Coins. There was dear Uncle, Dead Uncle Gordon. Right, uh, yes. Jesus and the Fannies. Uh, pork Slab. Mm. The Swollen Red Legs, the Nude Idiots, changed every week. In fact, one of our names was uh, the Constant Name Changes. That's, that's, uh, that, that's very meta, isn't it? Which is, is unusual for punk, actually. That was the name we kept longest. Right. Um, but the lineup was very consistent. Can I, can I just give a shout-out to the other band members? Yes, of course, so, please. Well, it was Di Aria, uh, Johnny Rubber, Anthrax and Steve Vomit. Yes. And... We always thought it was an incredible coincidence that our actual names sounded like made-up punk ones. Right, but you were Kevin Eldon, of course. No, my real name isn't Kevin Eldon. Oh, is it not? I changed it to that when I got into showbiz. So what was it originally? Terry Jizz. Terry Jizz, right, of of the gospel Jizzes. Yeah, well, no, that's my family name. Yes. Uh, I changed it to Kevin Eldon because it's an anagram of Void Kennel, um, which is one of my favourite names for the group. But anyway, we met... In I know a lot of older listeners will be interested in this kind of punk thing. We met in 1976, Year Zero with the Punk, by Gosport Creek, which that was a 10-yard square patch of derelict water. It's a Greg's now. Right. A lot of teenagers used to hang about the creek in those days. Because there wasn't a lot to do in Gosport then. No. You know, but there's no, plenty now. Uh, well, far more. And fewer punks, I yeah. would assume, as well. So. Fewer, fewer punks. You can go to the Vest Museum. But we were all down the creek, and me and Diane, Johnny, and Steve, and I remember Steve had a Grundig reel-to-reel tape recorder strapped to his back. Right. And he started playing Kill Tommy Cooper by uh, by Danny Gobb and the Smashed Teeth. You're too young to Yeah, I don't that. remember that. Kill Tommy Cooper. Kill Tommy Cooper, just like that. And we were all, uh, <laughs> we were all what was that? Steve said he had his cousin in London, and uh, he'd uh, sent him down this tape, and it was a new thing called Punk Rock. And it was instant, like that. Right. You were just, well, we'll have some of that. And you know punk was known as a kind of, like, you know, do-it-yourself movement. Right. Well, luckily, Steve Vomit was spoiled rotten, and his mum and dad were really rich. Oh, so that's, that's helpful for punk, Yeah, so they went out, got all the band equipment for us, paid for it, dodged a lot of hard work and bother there. All we had to do is turn up and get taught how to play our instruments by the musical tutors that Mr and Mrs Vomit had hired for us. But they were great, really good times, oh, loved it. It's wonderful, actually, because it's, it's not said enough, actually, how useful it is when you want to take an anti-establishment, angry stance yeah. to, to be independently wealthy so that you can, you can basically Finance it. bite off the hand that feeds, absolutely, yeah. without, without any... Uh, repercussions. Yeah, that. and, you know, eat well and uh, have some good cushions. Um, you would leave the world of impotent rage behind uh, to focus instead on impotent laughter. Uh, where was your first comedic performance? And uh, show your working. I, I, you know, punk was out, so I thought, OK, get with it. I applied to join the new romantic movement. I got as far as the interview stage, um, but it didn't work out. Um, I was told uh, quite... Uh, frankly, that I wasn't quite big enough a tosser. And that was a blow, because to get so far Mm. and so close, 
that was a low point. That is a shame, isn't it? So, so was comedy sort of the compromise that you were enough of a wanker for that? Well, I, it turned out that I was, but meanwhile, I was at a loss. I didn't know then. This was still, you know, an unwritten future. Mm. And then a friend said to me, "Look, you've got no real craft or qualifications. You've got no sense of who you are. You're not much use to anyone. Have you thought about becoming an actor?" And I thought, I'll give it a try, you know. So I applied to drama school. I got into the um, Elsie Bagholt Elysium of Hysterical Artistry in the mid-80s. And I came out three years later, fully qualified, unemployed meat puppet, and immediately started applying to the bill for jobs Mm. to play uh, unfeasible cockneys. And not getting them, because I kept getting the same old feedback. I wasn't unfeasible enough. So, again, bit of a dispiriting time. Um, and that's the thing about being an actor, particularly when you're starting off, you face a lot of rejection. Mm. Um, but to sort of find what it is that people assume about you, and you just have to sort of lean into that, I, I think. Well, it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to pin down. You don't know what it is. My advice to any actor who's facing rejection, um, I think the best way to react to it is with an all-pervading toxic bitterness Mm. and by cultivating a conviction that you're being vindictively persecuted by idiots who don't realise that you're probably a genius. But meanwhile, the stand-up circuit was going very strong. Right. Um, I was going to see lots of shows, and I thought, right, nothing to lose. I'll give it a try. Now, whenever I'm on an acting job and I tell another actor I do stand-up, they invariably say, oh, I could never do that. And I always reply, well, of course not. You haven't the wit or the courage. Right. And then, you know, they're usually a bit frosty with me in makeup. But uh, anyway, the first stand-up gig I remember very clearly. Uh, it might have been before your time. It was the Laugh Bucket in Streatham. Okay, yes. You might have heard of it. I think I've seen old black and white photos of it, Yeah, possibly. it's famously a rough gig. Mm. Lots, there were lots of really rough gigs about then. Um, because you don't get them anymore since the government introduced Pacifium into the water supply. But anyway, I got a tryout spot at um, the Laugh Bucket, and I remember the compare was uh, Nigel Hoop. Right. A big, drunk South Londoner. I remember he brought me on by grabbing hold of me, lifting me over his head, and hurling me into the audience. And uh, let's just say it didn't go well. Um, I only had five minutes of material, but by the end of the first minute, I'd had all kinds of things thrown at me, a glass ashtray, a spear, somebody's girlfriend. And although I ended up having five stitches in my neck, I think it was, um, and I wasn't paid, and I was punched in the back of the head, someone stole my Walkman, and crisps were rugged into my groin. Oh, dear. And uh, was punched again. I thought, I love this. Mm. And uh, I suppose when you think you might die, it's when you've never felt more alive. Well, absolutely, and I suppose if what you'd been used to previously was punk, then this might actually be a, a step in the right direction. Yeah, I, I, I was used to the, um, the cut and thrust of, uh, of an anarchic environment. Right. Uh, and uh, this, was, this was it. I, kind of, I thought it was a kind of a continuum. So uh, I, that's how I started getting a foothold in the world of comedy. Right, and w- which other comics were around at that time? Uh, w- who inspired you, do you think? Well, you know, I, I mean, all the people were ju- who were just starting then, um, uh, there was, uh, you know, Jock Nipples yes. and Peter Purpose. Right. Juliet, All the Pies, Quality and Quantity. They were a very good double act. Yeah, excellent. Uh, and you know, no one had heard of them then. Um, I, I, Jock Nipples... Jock Nipples was an amazing act, 
uh, you've probably heard of him. This was long before he started doing Songs of Praise. Right, yes, of course. Um, back then, he'd go on stage in just a dirty pair of pants all greased up with goose fat with a flamethrower and a couple of barking rottweilers, and he'd just tear up the place. Yeah. He was so, he was so angry. He had this uh, really strong Glaswegian accent. No one could understand it in London. But actually, he wasn't actually speaking a lot of the time. He was just screaming. And I'll give you an example. First time I saw him, I'll never forget this. He just asked a man in the audience to lick his armpits. When the bloke refused, he was so angry, he actually bit one of his dogs. And the other dog sort of knocked the flamethrower so it set fire to his air. Then the first dog bit into his crotch. All three of them fell into the audience. It's all biting each other. The audience joined in. Police were called. Just next thing you know, it was a full-scale riot. Half of Bermondsey was ablaze. I was traumatised. Right. But the thing is, I saw a review of the gig in Time Out next week, and the headline was, Is Jock Nipples Losing His Edge? That's the kind of atmosphere there was there. People were taking risks then. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, all, it's a shame that it's all getting recorded when it's all safe and formulised, well, as it has been in the last 10 to 15 years. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. There's something about the fear that there could be anyone in the audience with a smartphone putting this immediately to YouTube, that you just don't try anything that hasn't been done before. Yeah. So instead you just copy down some material from last night's Live at the Apollo and change the nouns. Yes, exactly. There is a fear of that. And I think it was better when you had a fear, whether you were an, uh, an act or a member of the audience, uh, that you might very well be deeply and damagingly humiliated. Right. Or, or even, you know, physically harmed or both. Absolutely. And we've lost that. Of course, the audiences probably had no fun whatsoever. No. No, they wouldn't have known what was going on, really. It was all too risque and strange. They're very happy now. They they seem to sit there, you know, like uh, tickled children, uh, mm. most of them. But, in, yeah, in a lot of audiences uh, in the uh, early uh, clubs, they were... They'd sit there just as if they'd been just span round a thousand times and then given some LSD and then told that some very uh, dear friends uh, had uh, been blown up. Um, and that used to be the definition of entertainment and it has changed. I, I suppose, you know, there's no point in just staying and sticking in the same place. Everything must change, so, you know, we mustn't cling to these things too dearly. Mm, no, no, I suppose. <laughs> Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Straight away, you somehow manage to avoid the regular pitfalls of a career in comedy and only get cast in shows that were good. Now... How on earth did you actually manage to do that? Because well, I can't think of anyone else who has actually done it. Well, well, what happened was I I started picking up radio work and other people's shows. I had a guest spot on uh, Branston and Pickles' weekly satirical show with knobs on. Right. Then I became part of a sketch team and a show for BBC Wiltshire called uh, Giggle Video. And I did some pretty awful stuff. Uh, I, do, I, do you know, did you know I was the ghost of a horse in that Grand People sitcom Down in the Ditch? That was you. Yeah, that was me. I've always wondered who that was. That was actually me because you couldn't see me with the with the head on. And um, but there came a point when I remember thinking to myself, do you know what? Personally, I would rather be in good shows than bad ones. So I thought, okay, plan of action needed. And when I went through auditions for the bad shows, mm. what I'd do is um, before, just before I walked into the audition room, I'd drink a pint of salt water. So as soon as I opened the door, I was sick everywhere. And that did the trick. And because, they didn't like that. Well, no, they, they say that in auditions, the people casting usually make up their mind about you within the first 10 seconds of you walking into the room. I so see. by doing this, by the time I was sitting down, they were wiping the the sick off their stupid glasses. I'd already been mentally crossed off the list. Um, the only time it backfired, actually, was when I went for a part as a, a puking man in uh, that sitcom Filofax Man. And remember? that turned out to actually be quite good, though, in the end, didn't it? It was. Filofax Man. It was all right. You know, Man, he was... They're yeah. not going to repeat it now because of a few, uh, let's say, dated references, but... Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but uh, when I went for auditions for the good shows, it wasn't quite so easy. What, what I would use... And I think it's okay to reveal this now. It's twenty years ago. Mm. I would use subliminal messaging. Right. So while I'd be in the audition room reading for the part, I'd very quickly slip in phrases like, "He's a good actor. Employ him." Right. He's funny. This is brilliant. And I'd do it so quickly they'd not even notice I'd done it. I mean, I can't. Yeah, I can't do it now. Sure, the speed's gone. But uh, yeah, the, the speed's the gone. Concept oh, I'm out of practice. I could probably, I could probably whip it up to ninety percent of that. But it worked. It worked. It seeped into their subconscious. Influenced them. I suppose you could say it was cheating to a certain extent, to certain, but, you know, it gave me a foothold. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, my feeling of castings is always nearly anyone they see could do this to a reasonable enough standard to entertain most people sitting at home. So yeah. really, yeah. any cheating isn't really cheating at all. I mean, we only really need 12 actors in Britain, and yet we have about... What, 12,000, 120,000? I don't know how many only, actors we have. Too many, yeah. We've got we only need 12, actors. and you know, six of them would be extras. You've only recently made the transition to being the star of your own show. Um, oh, look, Kevin Eldon has just arrived. You will excuse me, won't you, Jan? I simply must go say hello. Um, it's known affectionately to its fans as Olki J. Wemby Jismdush. Had something changed in you to now start craving the centre spotlight? Craving the spin- <laughs> that's one way of putting it. Um, yes, actually, something something had changed because I'm going to explain the story. Not long, 
Before I got my own show commissioned, um, some vitamin supplements uh, had come to my attention in the spam folder of my email account right. from some company in China. And I thought, well, actually, I've been feeling a bit sluggish and under the weather. We'll give it a try. So I tried it, and it immediately uh, it caused a significant change in my energy levels and my personality and mood swings and body hair and the colour of the whites of my eyes. And I, I suddenly became very energised and very physically fired. I'm quite aggressive. Right. Um, I was running 20 miles a day, um, often without leaving the house. Uh, I was punching lampposts, you know, karate chopping really thick bits of wood into, drinking a huge amount of Tizer. And one day I just stormed into the BBC and apparently physically threatened three major comedy executives in such a terrifying manner that they commissioned a series for me there and then. Right. Is that how, is that how everyone how, does it? You, you, you I just know. have to be... I don't know. Yeah, It's just uh, if, you had, if you take these vitamin supplements, it might be. Right. But apparently, I've no, I've little or no memory of this time. It's all a sort of a hot blur. But I got them all to tie them up, got them all to sign legally binding documents in the presence of lawyers and their own blood, forbidding them to rescind on the deal. And that was off. I, I was off on my show... It was in production. I don't know if it, I don't know if it, it's a common way of uh, getting a series. But. Well, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, thinking about the kind of people who get their own shows again and again and again, I, I, I can't think of a single one. I can't imagine tying up an executive and just punching them on the nose. It, it is one way of doing it. I mean, they're, they're never in the post long enough to actually uh, no, be able right. to take proper offence. But I mean, I wouldn't recommend anybody uh, taking the vi- vitamin supplements I did because I, I looked. I've since found out that some of the ingredients wouldn't be endorsed by the medicines and healthcare products agency. Let's put it that way. Right. There were, I found uh, it was mercury. There was ammonia sulfate, fox marrow. There was all sorts in there. So I did the series. Uh, my wife suggested I replace the online dietary stuff with just a multivit a day, and I did because she'd, she'd taken to locking me out of the house and just throwing dog food at me right. from the kitchen window. So I went on to the multivit, and within two days, I, I kind of returned back to normal. Right. So were you still in the middle of filming at that point? That was, uh, that was at, at, at the tail end of it, and right. I can't... I mean, I wasn't enjoying it, but, you know, while I was doing it, I was out of my mind. I was doing a whole day's filming and then cycling to Dover to try and pick a fight with the sea. Right. And I'll be back in time to start the next day's filming. No, I was just... Crazy. It's, you can see if you look closely. There's a, there's a certain look in my eye. If I could mention just briefly, uh, you were cast in the remake of the beloved '80s children's cartoon Nationalist, Nationalist Vermin. Vermin. Yep. Yes, uh, playing the ever put upon Piffle Tweedy. Mm. Uh, were those big shoes to fill? I was nervous about taking on. Um, Piffle Tweedy, mm. uh, particularly as Desmond Finkelstein did him so brilliantly in the original. I mean, it's an unforgettable performance. Uh, it is, isn't it? Baffling in many ways, but unforgettable. Uh, yeah, certainly. I think its incoherence is part of its charm. But Finkelstein voiced so many great children's characters, didn't he? As Captain Sod, mm. Custard Man. Yes. I didn't even know he did Hateful Monster. Is that right? He did, yeah. And we all grew up with the Filthy Cavemen. Yes. Um, so... Talk about a hard act to follow. And then, uh, again, I was very nervous about being involved in the remake of something that a lot of people got very fond memories of. Right, yes. I mean, reboots. We all saw what they did to Gaggle Dog and yes. Mr Bottomhead. Well, Gaggle Dog just lost anything of why Gaggle Dog was fun in the first place. I mean... Well, you know, why Why just leave it alone? Le- Gaggle Dog uh, was a couple of uh, bits of cardboard stuck together with safety pins moving to and fro, yes. and the same set, all he ever did was uh, get out of his basket, 
go and eat a carrot and then go back in. Right. He he wasn't some skateboarding... Uh, he couldn't fly. Millennium. He couldn't fly. He couldn't enter uh, singing competitions. Yeah. And he, he wasn't in 3D. No, he wasn't in 3D. And I, there was no interactive element. I mean, he was just some bits of stuff that we accepted as a dog because yeah. the show was called Gaggle Dog. I mean, we assumed that was Gaggle Dog. Yeah. Rather and, than it's some surrealist title. I mean, it may have just been some trash. Yeah. But the nationalist vermin, however, mm. has moved it on, I think, while staying true to the spirit of the original. So although, say, Piffle Tweedy now has an iPad as opposed to a leaky fountain pen... Right. He does still love to throw coconuts at cats. Yes. He's still afraid of frayed edges, and he's still possessed by voodoo demons. Right. I have to say, I, I do enjoy it. Thank um, you. I, I, the pace is dizzyingly fast for me. I mean, it's... Yeah. Uh, uh, they used to be, what, 45-minute episodes, and they're down to eight seconds now. Yeah. Which I'm sure is just the market, but... Um... Well, it's, it's attention spans as well, mm. um, as a lot, and also a lot of, of finance uh, there. But, uh, yeah, it's basically... It's a fear that the children will um, go and do something else. Right. Uh, and uh, eight seconds will hold their attention. I mean, you know, when when uh, Pivotal Tweedy started in 1980 or something, didn't it? That's right. And in those days, you could have a, a seven-minute uh, section of uh, of Pivotal Tweedy just uh, sitting, filling up his fountain pen. Absolutely. And everyone would just be absolutely absorbed. Yes. But uh, you won't get that now. No, no. Well, because the only thing, other thing to do was to turn over to the other side where there would just be some pictures of some scrubland. Yeah. Probably. But uh, did children ever recognise you when you uh, speak near them, or are they too dim to understand what an actor is? Well, I only ever do the Piffle Tweedy voice for, for money. So so if uh, someone tells a child that I'm the voice of Piffle Tweedy and they ask me to please do the voice for them, in order to avoid doing it and then not getting paid, I do a, just a completely different voice. You've also been appearing, I, I mean, you can probably tell we're moving slowly away from comedy into the mm. broader spectrum of entertainment, but... I. You've been appearing in more and more dramas, mm. too. Um, would you play a detective? Do you think in your own series? I yes. I, well, I think I'd be a fool to reject the notion. Well, absolutely. A, a lot of actors take it as a sort of retirement scheme, yeah. don't they? That I'll just play this detective until I can no longer read or I'm dead. Yeah. Um, I think. What, what sort of detective would you be? Do you think what would be your hook? I mean, they all need a thing, don't they? I think I would quite like to be a giant detective. Interesting. You know, it's about 80 feet tall, um, striding across town to the scene of a crime in about five seconds, you know, and, and a sausage roll for the giant detective would just be a roast pig mm. wrapped up in 50 pizza bases stitched together with licorice. And he wouldn't need a loud hailer in a siege scenario. He could just talk normally. Right. And I think that would be an interesting project. I, I can imagine... Getting into tricky spots with really dangerous criminals and escaping by using my superior intellect mm. and uh, also by stamping on them with my massive feet. Yes. It would be about the size of a double-decker bus. Would it be a period piece or set now? It would be about five years ago. Five years ago. It'd be an, but you would. You'd feel like an outsider treated as a bit of a freak as well. So, so as well as difficult uh, murder cases... Um, the giant detective would have to deal with his own extreme height-related personal struggles. Maybe there'd be a giant lady criminal about the same height. Um, ah, as a sort of season arc. That... Yeah, yeah, who does, I know, does credit card fraud or something like that. Yes. And he knows that he's got to bring her to book, but he can't help being in love with her. So he's conflicted between his love for this giant woman and his sense of duty as a police detective. 
And but also being obviously being, I'd like to get comedy in it. Yes. So you could get a bit of humour. He'd probably really hate all the paperwork that goes with being a detective because all the pens in the police Tiny, station would it? be far too small. Far too small. Um, and the, the microfiche scene would be a favourite of the fans, I imagine. Oh, he's trying to use a microfiche to see old newspapers. It'd yeah. be absolutely impossible. It'd get such a headache. He'd probably have to live in an old abandoned lighthouse with all the floors knocked through. Well, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's nice to have a sort of characterful home as well for them as well. Would he be a drinker, do you think? Um, he would, but he would only have... Um, um, pints of beer which would be like half a thimbleful for him mm. so um it'd be a moderate drinker but he would still uh you know just to get very slightly drunk he'd still need uh 60 pints right that would be that would be difficult to portray him as an alcoholic then wouldn't it just yeah. for the logistics would be unbelievable yeah he wouldn't be able to afford on police pay um uh five thousand pints a week no no i think it would call it probably um it probably be called big dick Excellent name, hmm. excellent name. I'd be drawn to it in the uh, in the guide. Yeah. Um, well, um, to, to sort of bring this whole parcel of your career together, mm. as it were, uh, music was your first love, mm. comedy your second. Mm. Um, what will be your third love? Prunes. Interesting. Has the role of comedy in British society changed? Do you think, if it ever had a role? I think it's changed from being a cathartic expression of joyful chaos right. to being an impotent factory-bred chimera farmed by robots. And that is quite a change, isn't it, really? It's been a slow and gradual change, but mm. uh, I think that's but that's not to say the role won't change again. No. Uh, but we don't know. I mean, the, ro- the role of comedy in British society has always had an important uh, part there. I mean, what, do you think it's do you think its role is well, ever changing? Well, I, I, I would I would say uh, before um, the sort of guardians of our morality seem to uh, that role seemed to sit squarely with the comedians, certainly in the the 1980s and perhaps into the 90s. But it, then it slowly changed until uh, comedians were just people telling the rest of the people to sit down and shut up mm. and that uh, satire is now the job of babbling mad homeless people I think I think they're the ones who are now the guardians of our morality but no one's listening to them they're also very funny of course they are hilarious people but they don't have uh, they don't have the venues really they don't have the exposure no I, it's a it's a complex it's a complex issue I, I don't know do we not uh, you know define it out of existence if that's a little bit of a, an ironical uh, phrase to make mm. Mm. well maybe 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 we need to stop looking at comedy so hard and then it'll it'll start to grow again so it's programs like this that are really killing it maybe you're right we should just stop That's the end of the second series. My thanks to Ed Morrish for the editing and Martin White for composing the music. We'll be back with Series 3 very soon. Hold up. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.